And the translators chose, in, in these versions, they chose to blend these two verses in order to communicate what needed to be communicated, okay? I'm, I'm just explaining that to you because I, it was curious to me when I got to looking at it. I thought, wait a minute, I don't see those words in the Greek. And so I went back and started studying, and I went to the verse ahead. And I realized, okay, those words are actually in the verse above, but they blended them down to this second verse. So this is not heresy what I'm teaching you today, okay? It is what, the, what Paul was writing to the, to the Thessalonian church. And I just wanted to, if it doesn't look exactly right in your Bible or positioned exactly right, let me tell you that it's communicating the same thing. So I'm going to start with the NIV version today. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. Let me just, I'm going to back up, okay, verse 10. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. So he's talking about these people that he went on a missionary journey to. He's talking about how he and, and the, those that were with him uh, conducted themselves in the presence of the Thessalonian people when they were there. And uh, I believe if you go to Acts chapter 17, you can read about Paul's missionary journey to uh, the Thessalonians. He had just been in Philippi. He had just been in prison in Philippi with slashes on his back. And then there was that earthquake that happened in the middle of the night when they were singing praises to the Lord. And then the, the prison uh, keeper came and he was getting ready to take his life because he thought that all the prisoners escaped. And Paul says, no, no, we're all here. We're all here. Don't take your life. So he takes Paul and, and Silas to his house and they minister to him and, and this uh, prison um, supervisor uh, feeds them and wash, bathes them, and then Paul and Silas baptize the whole household. You know, they, they baptize them all into the faith. And, uh, and, and then they end up going from Philippi, and they go over to Thessalonica and minister there. It says that they were there for three Sabbaths, teaching about the Messiah, teaching about, how the, about the Christ and how from the Scriptures, from, the, from the, uh, what we have as the Old Testament Scriptures, proving to them that the Messiah actually had to suffer and die because that was a foreign concept to the Jewish people. They thought that the Messiah would come, he would be demonstrated in front of them, that they would know that he was the leader and that he would lead Israel into victory, that all their foes would fall away, and now Israel would be exalted and God would be exalted through the nation of Israel and they had a nationalistic view of what God was going to be accomplished, not a, a kingdom of God view, uh, that what God's mission was really was to bring the world to him and to restore the whole world back into relationship with God, all those who would. And so Paul went and was teaching them about the Christ, that the Christ would have to suffer and everything like that. And after not too many weeks, all of a sudden, uh, some of the Jewish people from another area came and stirred up trouble, and, and Paul had to flee. And uh, so Paul's writing back to this church that he had been ministering to that had received the gospel. But he says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you. If you spend more time in this book, you'll find out that he talks about how there are some people that may be presenting or sharing the gospel, but they're doing it for their own self-glorification or they're doing it for their own enrichment financially and Paul says we're not like that we didn't come to benefit financially we didn't come to build ourselves up but they came to present Christ to bring Christ 
And apparently Paul and Silas, when they went on this mission, they, they even worked to support themselves. They said that, he said, as an apostle, I had the right to put a demand on you to have an expectation that you would bless me. But we chose to work. We chose to see that our needs were met. And so uh, he said, we were holy and righteous and blameless when we were among you. And then in verse 11, he says, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we're going to pause right there. I want to read to you that same passage out of out of the New Living Translation. Um, I hope that doesn't bog you down too much. You're okay with that? But I'm just going to read. I'm going to read verses 11 and 11 and 12. He said, "And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children." And then I love the passion that I hear in this. And, and just so you'll know, when I talked about the Greek and the words overlaying, these words about how a father treats the children, these words are some of the words that are, 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 would be transposed over into uh, verse 11. Um, but these are the words that, that would, be, would be seen in verse 11 if you're reading probably out of the King James or the, the New King James. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you to live lives uh, to live lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you, listen to this, to share in his kingdom and glory. I want to go back and just, just spend some time with you. Firstly, I, 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 <clears throat> there's a difference in the heart that we see that Paul is communicating here with what we see sometimes in the body of Christ today. And that is that he said, we, we worked with you, we worked among you, we ministered among you as fathers urging children. And the perspective there is, you know, sometimes today, uh, I don't really want to spend a whole lot of time on, on, on things that are, are not positive, but let's just say this. In Malachi, the end of chapter Malachi there is a promise that when the hearts of the fathers turn to the children, that there would be a great outpouring of the Spirit of the Lord. And when we get our perspective that, like the pastor down in, in Costa Rica, he said, I realize that everything that I've ever done, everything that I've ever accomplished in my life is for this next generation. It's not about exalting us or, or getting some kind of accolade or building something up. Look, Everything that you have in your life, everything that you gain in your life is to bless the next generation, to pour into the lives of the others. That next generation may be someone that's at your very age. It may be someone that's older than you. It may be someone that's younger than you, but it's pouring into the life of the next person. If you go into my bedroom right now, please don't. If you go into my bedroom right now, on the side of my dresser is a wrinkled old piece of lined paper stuck on the side of my dresser. And it is this symbology, and I'm about to cook, so I'm going to come out of this. Um, is a, is a, there is an image, that I'm going to be the stick figure, okay? But I drew this years ago, and there's a stick figure of a man standing, it could have been a lady, but for me it's a man, because I was like this, hand up kind of partially 
bent leg like this, looking up to the Lord, and a hand back like this, okay? And then there's an image of one down, crouched more, hand up, taking hold of that hand, and another one reaching back like this. And then there's another one that's almost face down, but reaching up and taking hold of a hand. And the Lord embedded that in my heart as our mission as disciples and as disciplers, that wherever we are standing in our walk with the Lord, that we always need to be reaching forward and we need to be reaching back. Everything that's ever been accomplished in your life is not just so that you can get to heaven and be blessed, but so that God could use you to be a blessing to other people. It is for the next generation. Sow yourself that way. Don't just make sure that you're getting blessed. Make sure that you're being a blessing. And uh, that, 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 that chapter in Malachi talks about the hearts of the fathers being turned to the children and the hearts of the children being turned to their fathers. There's a connection there. and I, it's not, This is not gender specific, okay? But it is about fathering. It's about nurturing. It's about raising up and about having that kind of connection that we can minister life to the people that we're working with. And that we honor and respect those that God's given in our lives. Can you identify people in your life that are pouring into your life? Do you have that kind of connection, that kind of relation? Are there people that you can look towards? Are there people that, that you look towards that may be on the internet that you look to for wisdom, for insight, for teaching and training? And that's great and that's good. But do you have someone personal that you mutually lift one another in your faith, that you draw on one another for strength, for encouragement, that you're able to learn from and draw from. Let me turn it around. Is there someone in your life that you are pouring into, that you are blessing? Can I, just, can I give you my perspective? This is my perspective. I can't talk about myself as really yet as being old because I don't have gray hair. Well, there's a few sprouts. Of course, some might say that all the gray hair fell out. But to some, I'm old. I can remember being 36 and having 16, 17, 18-year-olds say, you remind me so much of my dad. And that was a shock to me because I realized that's because I'm probably the age of your dad. And that was a shock to me at 36. It was the first time I really registered. Well, I'm years beyond that now and I'm about to lose what my point was <clears throat> but what I'm trying to say is this folks if you're a believer together with me I see us as walking arm in arm look you may be two weeks in your relationship with the Lord do you know there's some things I can learn from you there's some things you can learn from me there's some things we can learn together. But I, I, you know what's amazing to me? And this is, this is just fascinating to me. When the Holy Spirit is in the life of someone, when they've come into a relationship with God and the Holy Spirit's working inside of them, do you know that God can work supernaturally through the life of a brand new believer? God can, God can stir their heart to give a, do a loving act towards someone, just to say a kind word to someone. God may give them an understanding of something, they didn't premeditate it. They didn't come up with it. But they may say a kind word to someone and it just completely transformed that person's day. Why? Because the living God is living inside. 
Now, I can tell you this also. There may be areas that are rough and unrefined, where we were talking about carving with, with Michael in, in the sound booth a little earlier, and, and I, I don't have the vision for this, but how someone can take a block of wood or a piece of stone or a, a deer antler and look at that thing and say, there is something inside this and I need to take everything else away. I don't have that kind of vision to be able to see that. To take a piece of wood, I see a piece of wood, and to me it's firewood or you know, maybe a table or something like that out of it, but I don't see the carving on the inside, and they say, I just need to take away everything that doesn't look like that object that I see. I need to take away everything that doesn't look like what I'm intending to to produce out of this thing, and that's what God does with us. What God's designed us for is already on the inside. It's in our spiritual DNA when we came alive in him. Do you realize the, the spiritual life of Christ is inside the believer? We've been spiritually made new. It is, the spirit man has been made alive. There may be things with regards to the, the fleshly habits and, and familiarity, and there may be things with regards to our thought processes and the way we relate to life and the way that we see ourselves that the Holy Spirit has to get in there and mold and refine and maybe cut away a few things, take away a few things, but what he's created us for is already on the inside. And that new being, that new person on the inside can already operate to some degree, but it's a process of learning, of operating and living as the new man and putting aside the old man. But I see the demonstration of God's Holy Spirit through babies. Sometimes there's that flash of what we call phanerosis, the outshining of his glory, the manifestation of his presence and power. There's a a glimpse and we see, wow, did you see what God did? And, and as new believers, we're just amazed. I didn't even know what I was doing. How did that happen? But it's the Christ inside of us being demonstrated. Paul says in his writings here, and I'm going to put this one away and focus on the NIV. He says that they came and they ministered to these new believers as a father would minister to children. So what immediately comes to mind and the thing that we wrestle with is our perspective on what a father is like in relationship to children because we may have some of that old man experience. We may have had an imperfect father relationship or an imperfect grandfather relationship that causes us to have a tainted perspective of what that's like. But what God wants to produce in us is an understanding of what the heart of a father is. And let me just go ahead and make the statement here, even though this is not what I want to focus on. I want to get to something else that's really good. But let me tell you, there's a difference between discipline and punishment. There is a a punishment can come from the perspective as I am going to sometimes as taking out anger, venting our anger or our frustration on that child. Sometimes it, it is just being vindictive towards them because there's so much hurt and pain and anger on the inside that a parent, parent, that was a parental unit, a parent uses that opportunity to vent frustration on that child. And what is the effect? It hardens the spirit of that child or it breaks the spirit of that child to where they don't know how to function in life. They're broken on the inside because they receive so much scorn and so, so much re- resentment and so much, can we say the word shame? We've been doing that study on Wednesday nights. So much shame on their lives because there was punishment and not discipline. Now, 
our understanding of discipline is also tainted because a lot of times people think of discipline as punishment. But true discipline is not just, it, there may be consequences that are brought to that child that's being disciplined, but the intent of discipline is not to break down, but to raise up. The intent of discipline is to train a child in the way that they should go. So it, it may involve punishment for something that's been done wrong, but it should also involve instruction in how to do right. And if discipline comes, it should also come with love. If a spanking comes, it should come with a hug. <laughs> spank, spank, spank. But since Christopher's here, it's our day to pick on Christopher. Christopher, I love you anyhow. You know, I love you not just anyhow, but I love you. And I'm doing this because I love you. <laughs> I never really understood that I was a kid. But you know what? I... I uh, I was well-seasoned with regards to discipline coming along as I, yeah, grab the place of my renderings. Um, I, I was well-seasoned, but it always came with a hug and sometimes with a prayer. Lord, help us to be able to do what's right. Help us to make the right decisions. Help us do that. And I appreciate that. If we're going to discipline, it needs to be with a heart of love, not out of anger. So parents, you might need to count to ten. You might need to take a moment to get your heart, your mind right. Don't discipline out of anger. Don't punish out of anger. Let it be seasoned. Paul says that they dealt with them as a father deals with their own children. So there was a loving heart towards them. They were instructing them in righteousness. And he uses some words here that I want to to spend some time with, in, in this version, these words are over in verse 12, and he says, encouraging, comforting, and urging, okay? Now, these words uh, in some, you know, the word for encouraging there, believe it or not, interestingly enough, the word encouraging there is the word parakletos, like the Holy Spirit, one who's come alongside to help, to support. So he's, they're working with them, doing the work like what the Holy Spirit would do, would do to us. The word can also be translated here to exhort. You know, the word exhortation sometimes involves a challenge to that person. You're recognizing something that needs to change. You're letting them know that it needs to change. But the intent, again, is not to beat the person down or do the pointy religious pharisaical finger and say, you're messing up, you're messing up, you're messing up. And be accusatory and make the p person feel bad about the Exhortation is, look, I've noticed something that, an area where there's a problem. And, and lift that person up. Encourage them. Exhort them. Point them in the right direction, not just point out what's going wrong. So encouraging them. And he describes it, you know, the Holy Spirit will come along and give you a nudge sometimes and let you know when things aren't right. But what's his intent? What is he desiring to produce in us? He's wanting to produce Christ in us. He's wanting to produce the right kind of character in us. He's wanting to produce the right kind of actions that will end up bringing benefit and blessing to our lives and the lives of others. So in a sense, Paul is saying that as fathers, that they were doing the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to those disciples. How did they do that? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So here's a curveball. The Holy Spirit wasn't just given to us to benefit us. The Holy Spirit was given to us so that he could work through us. So in a sense, and I believe this, if we could go back and, and you know, okay, I grew up in a Pentecostal denomination. Many of us did. Some of you grew up in a lot of different denominations. We got a whole blend of the body of Christ. We are a tapestry here. But because of where I grew up and a search for understanding, I, I really wrestled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and when are tongues given, what, what are tongues, are they valid, are they from yesterday or for today, and I'm completely secure. But one thing that I think that we need to understand, I, the Holy Spirit, I believe God's intention for the, every believer to have the Holy Spirit, every believer, I think it should be a part of our our basic equipment as soldiers of the Lord, that that's intended that we walk in the Spirit, that we have the Holy Spirit living in us. But I think the perception that, it, that, is, that He is something that we possess is wrong. I think that the whole intent is that we be given to Him, that we become implements for Him to use, that we become vessels that He can flow through that it's not just the Holy Spirit being given to us, but we be given to the Holy Spirit. Lord, what do you want to do today? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want to say? Who do you want me to pray over? Who do you want me to communicate with? Is there a, a good deed or something that you want done? Is there a word that needs to be spoken? And so the whole focus and the whole emphasis of the Holy Spirit being in our lives is that we become these, these uh, supernaturally endowed Walking on the earth, I'm still flesh and blood, but there's a spirit of God inside of me that wants to work through me to be able to do things to change people's lives and change people's circumstances and to release the amazing power and anointing from heaven into this earth through a people who have made themselves available. And Paul says that to these Corinthians Christians that they were being parakletos, that they were releasing the encouraging, the exhortation, that they were releasing that same kind of gifting that we find in the Holy Spirit, that they were encouraging. He also says that they were comforting. Why? Comforting in this passage, and it does say encouraging or exhorting in, in some of the other passages, but I want to focus on the comforting because I went and looked at that word, and when I was looking at that word, I found that that word over and over again was talking about comforting those who were suffering and comforting those who had been through difficult times and, and being there for somebody. Why? If you look in Acts chapter 17 at what from the beginning this Thessalonian church dealt with, they immediately stepped into the suffering that the Judean church was having to endure. They immediately came under attack from the Judaizers and those there in the, in the community. They immediately stepped in to the martyrdom and the suffering that the, the rest of the body of Christ had been experiencing. And they needed comfort and encouragement. And Paul and Silas were there to encourage them in their faith. And he continues to as you go through the book of Thessalonians. So let me tell you. I would love to be able to say that this life with the Lord is always roses. But I would be deceiving you if I did. 
But I can tell you this, that it may not always be roses, but there's always a fragrance. Whether we're enduring hardship or we're suffering because somebody is mocking or ridiculing or holding something against us, there's always a fragrance of Christ in it. And if we'll keep our perspective right and look towards Him instead of look towards the situation that we're facing or the difficulty, we can always find that we may not visibly be able to see an answer, but we can sense that there is a presence with us to give us the strength to go through things. And I know that I'm, I uh, am a habitual offender if you don't like Africa stories. <laughs> but I, I, I do, I draw from my life and my life experience. And can I just tell you this? I've, I've been in some unusual places I, I can remember being over in Kenya during a time, I think it was 1982, 1982 it was, when there was a coup in that country, an attempted coup. Now, I won't go into the history of it, but I do remember getting up one morning with my family and understand I'm 16 years old at the time and we, took, we, were, we happened to be four and a half hours out of Nairobi. We were in the town of Eldoret and I turned on the FM radio boombox and went to turn, tune in to some worship music on Sunday morning there because they always had, they had about three or four different FM stations. And they had an English station on Sunday morning that would, would play worship music. And when I turned it on, there was no worship music. What I heard was Swahili songs, which I knew enough of Swahili. I wouldn't catch every word, but I knew enough to be able to get the gist of what they were saying. And they were Swahili words, and it was nationalistic songs, patriotic music, and everything like that. But I couldn't find that English channel that was playing the worship music, and I thought that was strange. And pretty much every channel I went to was playing the same thing. So we're four and a half hours away. There's no news on the radio. There's only nationalistic music being played. And normally when you get on the road, there's cars busying around we had about a 45 minute drive to this country church that we were going to and hardly any cars the uh, public form of transportation over there pre-uber or what's the other one lyft pre-uber or lyft was that they would have these little pickup trucks with canopies on the back and they would stuff as many people on the inside as they could get seated and standing hunched over in the back and then people would hang on the outside. And normally you'd have two or three. There was normally one caller on the back. He's like, you know, we got standing room only, but, you know, come on in. And so there's a guy taking the money. And that was the public transportation called a matatu. This day, there were only a few matatus on the road. And most of them had like, I mean, this is no joke, five or six or seven people hanging on the outside. People standing, I mean, sitting on top on the, where the rack was. And I'm like, this is really weird. And normally you would have these police roadblocks going down the road. I'm spending too much time on the story. There'd be police roadblocks on the road, but today there were no police roadblocks because they'd check your vehicle, make sure you didn't have any contraband or something that you were carrying, and, and sometimes I think just wanted to show their authority. But today there were no police roadblocks, and that was just really strange, but not in such a way that the lights were going off. You're just like, well, that's unusual, you know? It's different. Hardly anybody's on the road. So we arrive at the church. They're worshiping out there down a dirt path out in the middle of nowhere, and all of a sudden... The pastor stands up after the worship and he said, we're so thankful to have our missionary guest today. We didn't know you were coming because of the new government. And we're like, what? You know, and here we are. We're more than four hours from home and they're saying there's a new government. And we're like, what just happened? And we found out that, that overnight that there had been uh, an assassination attempt on the president, that 
the, a section of the military had tried to overthrow the government. They had taken control of all the government buildings, all the communications. That's why the radio was messed up. They told the police, if you show up for duty today, we'll kill you. So the police weren't on position. They're just trying to disrupt the city, uh, the, whole, the whole floor of government, so that they could impose theirs. And um, here we are. Oh, now what do we do? So um, we, we had service that day. The Lord blessed in the service. And then we had to figure out what we're going to do going home. And Dad said, we're going back to Nairobi, which is where the battle was raging. So we loaded up that afternoon. We headed back towards Nairobi. I remember going, we got within an hour of Nairobi and came to this, this police military block. And they were, I mean, this was this army, and they were sending us out in this field to have our vehicles examined, you know, checked, opening up, and they're looking through everything. And this is not, you know, highway patrol on the side of the road. This is armed military, and they were on edge. They were trigger happy. And we got out in the middle of the field, and sure enough, out there in the middle of the field, after they were pleased and told us to go on, Dad's car wouldn't start. And so they said, this, this commander said, get this car out of here. He was irate, get this car out of here. And my dad said, I'm so sorry, so sorry, the car won't start. And so he said, get it out of here. So they told me to get out of the car and push. That's a fully loaded vehicle out in the middle of the field to push. An army guy came, and he threw his gun over the shoulder. I remember his barrel of his... his armed rifle was hitting me there in the hit while we were pushing and the whole way out of the field I was getting hit by his rifle I'm thinking I sure hope that thing's got a good trigger on it and it's not but we pushed out of that field and ended up continuing our our journey back to Nairobi and I remember being there and it was the next morning getting up in the morning and going and sitting out on the front porch of of the house and hearing gunfire in the city you know and I would tell Dad, it sounds like there's something going on over the Lavington area. And a news report would come through. Because at that time, the official government had regained control of communications. They were pressing the rebels out of position. And there were 2,000 people killed in the city that week. But I remember sitting on the front porch and having this overwhelming sense of the presence of the Lord and peace. In a city where there was somebody shot a block from our house and killed out in the street. But knowing that even in that environment, okay, some of you are going to think I'm a lunatic. Can I just say this? That you are safer in the presence of the Lord and in the place that he's called you to be than you can be holed up somewhere in a cave or holed up somewhere in a house, in a cush community somewhere. I would rather be with the Lord in that place. I have found can I, th- I could have found by experience, and not just by that experience, but I have found that you can have peace in the middle of that place. You can't keep your eyes on your surroundings, but you can press into the relationship and know that you're cloaked, you're enveloped by the presence of the Lord. There are Iranian Christians, sheep among wolves. There are Iranian Christians that today will suffer for their faith. But they would rather suffer than deny that relationship that they have with the Lord. They would rather give their whole life to the Lord and endure the suffering than to betray the Lord. Can I just tell you, God can keep you 
And so there are times when believers, because they're living the right life and because they're doing the right thing, they still need comfort. And Paul comforted and blessed the believers. And then he says also that he encouraged, that they comforted, and that they urged you to live lives worthy of the Lord. So there's an aspect of it that we all need. I need this, and I have to urge myself sometimes to do the right thing. Do you ever have something presented to you? You know what you should do, but it's a strain to do it. You know that the Lord is calling you to step out of your comfort zone. You know that the Lord is calling you to do something that you're completely uncomfortable doing. And God's saying, just step beyond that thing. Be willing to give this up. Okay, the Holy Spirit's taking me somewhere. He took me there last night. I got to go back there. <clears throat> When I hear somebody say that I will do anything for the Lord but, you might as well just put a spotlight. Because the reality that when we came into the relationship with the Lord, we were, called, we were called to let Him be Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. And Lord, which means, God, you're in control. I give you the right to direct my life, to lead me, to guide me, that He be Lord of our life. And when someone says, I'll do anything for the Lord, but do you realize you have just put a big marker in the ground and say, Lord, this is one area of my life that you cannot have control over. I will not yield this territory to you. And you know what the Holy Spirit has to do? Put a Holy Spirit beam on that area. Okay, here's one hard place. One thing where they value this more than they value their relationship. This is one obstacle to me able to be... For the, uh, that, that is hindering me from being able to be Lord of their life. And the Holy Spirit has to challenge that era where you said, God, you can have all of my life but this. My mom. God, I'll go anywhere. Just don't send me to Africa to be a missionary. From 1962 to 2019 and beyond, she's a missionary in Africa. Lord, I'll do anything. Just don't, me, don't let me marry a minister. That would be my sister. She married a minister. She's been over in Africa. And over and over again, that story happens where the Holy Spirit will challenge that one thing. God, I'm willing to do this. So I'm going to be bothersome and just say this. Because the Holy Spirit is saying this. Is there something that you're not willing to give up for the Lord? Is there some area of your life, some habit? Is there some relationship? Is there some hurt or pain or brokenness? God, you can have all of this. You have all of me. But I'm holding on to this. I, I, I refuse to forgive. I refuse to let go of this pain. I refuse to put my finances in your hands. I refuse to trust in my relationships, dear God, that you've got the best one for me. I, I refuse to give up my timeline. I want it now. 
And God says, no, that's for down the road. Lord, I refuse to go talk to that person. Is there some area that you're withholding? I refuse to let the people in my workplace, the people in the family, the people in my school know that I'm a believer. Paul said they urged the believers. There was an urgency. There was something they had to press them towards. But like fathers, loving fathers, they urged them on in their faith. And they were urging them to live lives worthy of God. Live a life worthy of the calling that He placed on your life. Live a life worthy of the identity that He has given you in Him. Who are you? I'm a child of the living God. I am a physical body, a spiritual being. I am a soul made new in this earth. My new commission is that I represent the living God. I'm a mile marker. I'm a signpost. I am the billboard that lets people know that there's a God alive in the earth today. I've been called to live a life that's a demonstration of his character and his nature. Is anybody else challenged yet? There are some of those advertisements on there on the highway, and I will read them, and I'm like, what? Who thought of that? And who paid the price to put that one up there? I don't think they hit the mark on that one. And there's some of those billboards that when you read it, you're like, that was really good. That was a catchy one. It sticks with you. And you may even talk to someone about it and say, I saw a billboard today, and that was really, you know, it's funny. Y'all don't talk about billboards? <sighs> Folks, people are reading our lives every day, everywhere we go. They know we're Christians. They're looking at our lives to see what Jesus is like. I think we're blessed to have some of these people here. I think we're blessed. I, look at, I was thinking last night, praying last night over our church, and I was celebrating you. You may be looking at yourself and saying, oh, my goodness, but look at all the perfections. But let me just tell you this. There's Jesus shining through. There's Jesus shining through. That process, the refining of the Holy Spirit works. It's just a journey. It may not be perfect in a day. And it says that we live a life worthy of God who calls us into his kingdom and glory. The other version, and the reason why I went there, said to share in his kingdom and his glory. So let me touch on this. The word glory and the word kingdom. I want to take them in reverse order. Can you all give me that liberty? The, what is the glory of the Lord? What is the glory of the Lord? I love the terminology that talks about the weightiness of his presence. Have you ever been in one of those services where, I don't know if you've ever been there or not, I, I, I want you to experience that, where there's no word that fits it. When there's just this, this thickness of the presence of the Lord in the place to where it was not fitting for anyone to say anything. The stillness and the quiet needed to just fill the place. Because everybody in there I remember being at a conference out in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the FCF, one of the FCF conferences. And that year, all of a sudden, there was this weighty presence of the Lord. I'll describe it that way. 
And that weighty presence came, and I was standing there with my, my hands raised, my eyes closed, and I thought, it was, I felt so caught up and at the same time so humbled by the presence of the Lord that the only thing that I knew to do was to get down on my knees. I just got down on my knees. I just got it was still before the Lord. I got still before my Lord. And after a while, I didn't want to open my eyes. I didn't want to do anything to be distracted. I just wanted to be in his presence. And then when I opened my eyes, I looked, and the whole place was down on their knees. The whole place was in the presence of the Lord like that. It was just still. The weightiness of his presence had filled that place. It, for me in that moment, at that time, I, I, began, I began speaking in tongues. And there was something different about the way I was speaking in tongues. And I recognized the difference. It sounded somewhat, and this, this may be unusual to some of you, especially if uh, this is not an experience that you have. But at that point, what was coming out of my mouth sounded kind of Spanish. It sounded somewhat Spanish. And that is not my normal sound, but I recognized it as the sound that I had the very first night. I can't tell you specifically, but it was either eight or nine years old when I was down at the altar and I had my first encounter in that way with the Holy Spirit. I began speaking in a language that I did not know. And at that night, it was for two hours down at the altar. But it was that same, the same wording, the same language. I, don't, I can't know how, to, how do you describe the Holy Spirit. But anyhow, it was the same spiritual language being spoken, but it sounds somewhat like Spanish. And I was at a point where I had been, we'd been working here, been very busy, very difficult. And to be honest with you, in my own heart and life, I just felt a little dry. It felt like walking through a desert. I just felt dry at that point. And when I was down at the altar, I'm not at the altar, but down there on my knees that night and began speaking like that, like the first time I'd ever spoken in, in, I heard the Holy Spirit inside of me say, it's my little friend David. Now, I was grown with a wife and kids, but I, was, I knew that the Holy Spirit was remembering the sincerity of that little child at the altar that day and was reminding me that he knew who I was. And then it, it, it changed, and I'm, I'm not really trying to focus on that, but what my focus is, I want you to get that there is a weightiness to the presence of the Lord that is upon you. You may not realize it or recognize it. You may not feel like it, but he has come to be alongside you. And whether we feel that weightiness or not, I want you to know that if you're a child of God, if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, the weightiness of the presence is with you when you move around. When you go out into your community, you're carrying the weightiness of his presence with you. And you may not be aware of the difference because you have, may have become Here's this phraseology. You may have become acclimated to the atmosphere around you. It may seem normal to you, but you may come in contact with someone and they're saying there's something different about you. And you may not be feeling very different at that moment. You may be feeling like it's a rough day and I've got circumstances that are difficult, but there's something that's changed about you when you get around your kids and your family and they say, Mama, what's different about you? And to you, it's just another day, but it's another day of a renewed person. They can recognize that you're a different person, and they're going to recognize that you're a different person. Understand that you've not just been called to experience His glory, but you've been called to be a carrier, a demonstrator 
that we carry the weightiness of his presence with us in this circumstance situation. We change the atmosphere when we move into places because he's with us. So let's be mindful of that. I use an illustration. I want you to get this. I don't, sometimes you have to do it more than one time. You have to say it more than one time. Chris, have you ever had to do that? Say it more than one time when you're teaching those guys how to do electrical work? But if we came in this room, and this happens, when they calculate the um, BTUs that are required to be able to heat this room and what it takes to air condition this room, do you know that they calculate the square footage of this room and they determine what type of tonnage it will take to be able to heat or cool this room based on the space? But you know what else they have to, apply to, to factor in? How many people will occupy this room? Because every one of us in our own way, we're breathing, we're living, we're releasing heat into the room. And so when it comes to heating or cooling this room, they have to factor in the occupancy of the room because it changes the atmosphere, it changes the temperature of the room. Every one of us in the spiritual realm We carry a sense of the presence of the Lord with us. And when we come together, we change the atmosphere. So let me challenge you this. (laughs) What temperature are you bringing? Okay, it's not relative to temperature, but it is relative to, to spirituality. Are you bringing a positive influence to the atmosphere or are you bringing a negative influence to the atmosphere? You have the ability to transform the atmosphere of the places you go for good. And when two or three come together, there am I in their midst. And when a congregation comes together, why is it that we can just feel a peace and that we can enjoy the presence of the Lord? One of us, we can have that presence when we're by ourselves, but when we come together and there's what we call a corporate anointing, It's a corporate blessing because we together are releasing the fragrance of Christ. We're we're drawing on the presence of God and we're emanating God's presence and His glory. It changes the atmosphere in this place and we call it a congregation or or we we call this place a sanctuary because it's a place consecrated to the Lord, a holy place. We don't want to just conduct ourselves in here like we... (laughs) That's the wrong way of saying it, like we do it anywhere else. We want this place to be holy, but really, we ought to be holy. We are a sanctuary. You have become a temple of the living God. Amen? So God's called us into His glory, but He's also called us to manifest His glory. And let's go back to the last word that I want to really focus on, but He's called you into His kingdom. The other translation said he shared his kingdom with us. So we know that the kingdom is not just geographical. It's not just geographical. It's not just from this border to this border. But the kingdom is the territory, which sounds geographical, but the the space in which a king's authority, a king's Rule, a king's will is being expressed. And everywhere we go, when, we have, when the U.S. government decides that we're going to put 
an embassy in this country and this embassy is going to be the jurisdiction of the United States and that land is granted, that in that embassy grounds that it is United States territory. It's governed by our laws. The people who go there are protected as U.S. citizens. But there is a jurisdiction that's established there for that nation or that country. Do you realize realize in every one of our lives there's been the establishing of a jurisdiction? You've become a sanctuary. You have become the territory of. You have become an embassy of the Lord into our nation. And where we go, anywhere you go, you're carrying the kingdom of God. We've got, body of Christ, we have to get the mindset. We are not just inside God's family, it's not just salvation. Salvation is the initiation. But God has commissioned us to walk as soldiers, as warriors, as ambassadors, as overcomers. God's commissioned us to carry his kingdom everywhere we go. That we are an extension of his kingdom. That where we go, we have the right to be able to pray authoritatively over situations and circumstances. So... We, we took a, a trip down to, to Georgia uh, Friday, came back Saturday. It was a long, long journey, but that was after Thursday, and that was a busy day. But it's been a great weekend. But I heard someone pray a prayer on Saturday, and they prayed differently. And I thought, that was interesting because here's a perspective, Okay. And, and I've, I've talked about this, about us. Are we agents of earth that are trying to reach up to heaven to try to catch God's attention? Or do we understand that we are in him and that now God is wanting to re- release his will into the earth through us? So are, we, are our prayers trying to catch God's attention or is our, are our prayers releasing God's will into the earth? Do you get that? Is that registering? So... A prayer was prayed at the end of our gathering down there, and rather than it being prayed this way, and, and don't, don't get your brain too tangled up on this, okay? Because there's times when we need to go with God with petitions and requests, and, and there's a, a seasoning of our own heart in, in praying those prayers, I believe, where we are, we're praying about things that we desire, we're praying about things that we want, we are going to the Lord and taking those petitions to the Lord, But there comes a point where there needs to be a transition in our prayer to where we understand that God has some things that he wants to accomplish on the earth and we need to release those things into the earth. So the prayer at the end of this gathering that we were at, which was a 50th anniversary celebration, was not, Father, we pray that you would, you know, laundry list of things that we wanted to see happen. But the prayer was this, I bless you that the Spirit of God would be on you. I bless you that you would find that your households, you know, that your children are raised up in the, in the fear. And all. I bless you that your, finances, your financial needs will be met. I bless you. And it was a releasing of blessing over the people that were there. It was like an authoritative prayer being prayed to release God's kingdom, that God's will, God's desires into the life of the people, not just saying, God, we trust and we hope that you will do something on their behalf. But it was an authoritative releasing. 
And what struck me in these passages was, it was reflected to me when I heard that prayer, that we need to understand that we are called to bear His glory, that we are called to release His kingdom authority in the earth. So let's become discerning on what our calling and our placement is over our families. Pray for your children. Release over your children the blessings of the Lord. Release over the things that you know that God's already spoken over them because you can pray them into existence. You can release them into their lives. Pray for blessings over your household and over their seed and over those that will be partners with them through their life and over the generations that will come. Pray over your workplace and the places where God's given you authority to be able to pray. Pray over those that are working for you. Pray for the people that are in your church. Pray for the people that work around you in your church. Pray for your extended household. But anywhere that God's given you jurisdiction in the earth, release heaven. Do you get that? So we are commissioned by the Lord here in the earth to be ambassadors for the kingdom of God. Let's release heaven's resources into those places so that we can see God's work done. And understand that you have been commissioned as an ambassador. It's not that you're on the outside, that you're on the outside of the kingdom of God and just barely snuck in the door with salvation pass. But now that you're inside the kingdom of God, salvation intact, then let's begin doing the work that God's called us to do and release God's glory everywhere we go and release the kingdom of God everywhere, God's rule and reign everywhere we go. That every day is full of opportunity to accomplish what God wants done. Amen? Let's stand together and we'll go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, bless the Lord. Amen. Look, search it out. If this is foreign to you, if this is new to you, if this is a challenge to you, then if you don't understand, then find someone to talk to about it. There are people here that will talk to you. I'll be glad to talk to you, but let's, we're going to grow forward. <clears throat> we are going to see lives change in this new year. I'm going to personally, at the beginning of the year, I, I, I spent very little time focused on Christmas today except talking about the Christ child coming. But in this new year, I want to challenge you. I, I feel already moved to the Lord to spend some time fasting in January. I said January because Christmas is pretty important to me. <laughs> but in January, just as a point of consecration, not because I'm trying to earn something from the Lord, but because I want to give myself fresh. I want the distraction to go away. I want... I want a, a spiritual renewal and fasting for me. I saw this last year also was a physical renewal. I saw something changed physiologically in me. God set some things in order. My body had some time to heal. There are things that I'd been plagued with that changed after the fast. So I just, you know, if that's something that the Holy Spirit prompts you with guidance, with direction, and, and, and then I encourage you to join us on that journey. But my prayer is, and I, you will hear me say this over and over again because it's going to become thematic for us in this new year, and that is that we, may the Holy Spirit give us a spiritual focus. For some, it may be a multitude, but at least for each one of us, that God help us to impact one for your kingdom. That at the end of 2020, we'll be able to see one life that will share eternity with us. Not just that they got saved, but that we helped them grow in their relationship with the Lord. Look, the Holy Spirit will help you. 
So don't be overwhelmed. For some may be saying, well, why just one? Why can't we do 20? Well, let's, let's get one. Let's focus on one. Impact one for the Lord. Father, God, these apostles that launched out on this grand campaign of missionary journey, dear God, to take the gospel to the Gentiles that did not know you, didn't even know about you, Lord, they launched out into deep waters, dear God, with the confidence that your Holy Spirit was with them. Lord, our deep waters may be our family, it may be our workplace, it may be our schools. God, our deep waters may be our, uh, our, our community, dear God, and the, the great needs that are there. And sure enough, those deep waters can be overwhelming. But I thank you, dear Lord, for the secret that won't be secret I thank you, Lord, for the deposit, dear God, that's not just to be saved, but to be shared. I thank you, dear Lord, for the Holy Spirit that you put inside of us that will manifest through us to be able to cause us to be effective in changing lives. So God, work your work inside of us, transforming us, changing us, helping us to be willing and enabling us so that we can reach people for your kingdom. Set things in order that need to be in order, we pray. Change us where we need to change, dear God, and use us where we need to be used. And God will give you all the glory for it. Thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. You may have called us into it, dear God. You may have called us to manifest it, but it's yours. So thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. Amen and amen. Amen. May God bless you. Amen.